to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. That song always uh, means a lot. My, uh, as most of you know, as my mom passed away just four years ago, um, uh, literally as we were there at the um, side of her bed and everything, um, it's just that awkward moment. So if you've been there uh, when a parent passes away or a loved one, just in that immediate um, time, it, it's just our, our, our own hearts and our own emotions, our own thoughts. Um, it's just a weird place to be, even though we have the comfort of the Lord. And so um, just in that awkwardness, a couple of my sisters were there and I was there. And um, that's the song. I, I just I just actually just said, hey, would it be all right if we just played this, just, just to kind of take our hearts and just to focus our eyes on this beautiful, beautiful Jesus, um, the throne of Christ. Our names are written on his hand, nothing. So, so this right here is not real and the beauty of that. And so I literally just pushed play, and we stood there in silence, just singing along, my sisters, and listened to Shane and Shane sing this song, going, death is not defeat. I mean, death is defeated. This is not the end. And so what a beautiful reality that we get to partake in. Um, thankfully, all of our days are not filled like that, of just staring at someone that's passed away. But um, sometimes we just need to remind ourselves of that. So as we sing that, that should be us just praising him in joyous love for, for that truth. And so I hope that that ministers to your heart there, um, that song. Um, thank you guys for leading that. If you notice, Brad, uh, I know that everyone's going to think that, you know, it looks like that, you know, he had a fight with a tanning bed, or maybe he's been ro- working really hard on the tan for the summer, but actually he, he was in a strongman's competition. So listen to this. My boys were impressed this week because uh, I think that Patrick Mahomes, on the sled, he pulled 900 pounds. That's a lot. Like on the sled, like getting that going, that, that's that's got to be a lot. Like that can't be good on your back, but 900 pounds. So 20 plates and he pulled it. Well, Brad had 640 pounds, 320 in each hand. That, that's a lot. If you've been at a gym and held one of those 80 pound weights, you know, just an 80 pound, so 320 each hand for like 40 seconds. That's a lot. And then squatting like six or 700 pounds in a minute, like nine times. So his voice may be a little raspy today. So uh, if you want to take shots, this would be the day. If you want to go up and punch him or something, this would be the day. He's weak, okay? So um, he, he hasn't been working on his tan, but uh, a very strong guy. If you knew Brad's testimony, I would encourage you to get along with him. More beautiful than the, ac- the external is um, what God has done in captivating his heart and life uh, years ago when he became captivated by Christ. And so if you haven't got to get with him, spend some time, take him to lunch and hear the testimony of what, what God um, brought him out of to completely uh, make him fall in love with himself. So um, that's just a little extra. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, if you want to turn there, um, we're going to have the verses up on the screen for you also if you open your device or your Bible. Um, we're going to be finishing up chapter 12 as, as we get close to the end. We have this sermon, and then we'll have the next two weeks finishing up this book of 2 Corinthians. Um, and so as we go through that each week, I always want to uh, remind us, we here's some things that we want to keep before us. To, we want to be asking, what is it that the, the author's intent 
What was it that, that the reason God and the Holy Spirit wanted Paul to write this letter to the Corinthians, but that also would be relevant at all times through all, all places in history, all people in history, and all churches, and to see that mainly it's this uh, message that, that's coming out through this letter of 2 Corinthians. So we look at that and remember the, the, the cultural context. So again, we can look at a city like Tulsa, and we've got to think through, well, does that fit? And I know that a lot of times uh, people are concerned with our, our, our own American American culture, and some people have the, uh, the, the idea of, I, I wish we could just get back to the way things were when this country was started, and I, I would probably suggest that it was even, even as bad um, as it was then. It was not completely a, a 90%, 80% Christian nation at that point, but um, the, the, that thinking of if things could get back for America, if things could get back and we could see um, uh, things like we used to. Well, that, that may not be a very accurate picture historically. Uh, the good news is, is that Corinth, that city, much, much worse than Tulsa. Much, much worse than if, if your fear is, you know, um, Las Vegas or LA or, or New York or Seattle or Phoenix. Um, much, much worse. And, and yet, what did God do? He said, I'm enough. What my son has done, it's enough for, for these people. The worst of the worst, whether they're killing it financially, CEOs, booming business, um, whether they're the scum of the earth that you may look at and judge and they're into uh, sexual immorality and drugs, I promise you this cross can change these people. I can captivate them. And so in the middle of that kind of culture, God sends the gospel. And so we're in a, in a particular place in Tulsa, the 61st in Peoria, where we've got two blocks over, 1.2, $3.4 million mansions, and half a block over, $70 a month rent. And so could God bring people together of different um, race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, to where people sitting in the same row with one another, sitting in each other's small group, where you've got a guy making whatever, and, and another family making whatever, and they could actually love one another. And my argument is the gospel and Jesus Christ can bring that about. He can bring that together. And so those future realities in heaven have to be practical focuses for us. And so when we go through the word, we're always looking at what would God's word be saying to us in our culture? So they were obsessed with status. They had a desire for achievement and success. Um, limitless opportunities. It was a port city. Remember all those crossroads where everything passed through education, philosophies, um, booming economic ventures. Um, socioculturally, it was very diverse. So that, that's a beautiful thing. The world the Corinthians lived in then, um, and us today, if we're not careful, we kind of abhor, we, we hate, we, we kind of refuse, and we loathe the type of humility that comes with suffering and loss, and, and weakness. Like, you, you don't see that, do you? you don't, we don't see people exalting someone or like, hey, look at this guy. He, he, he's, he's had a really rough time. Things have fallen apart in his life. And, and it seems like God is all over this guy so much that his life is just falling apart. Like, we don't look at that, do we? We look at the guy who's got the, the cool looks and the, the good charismatic leadership, and just things just seem to boom, 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 boom. And then we're, we're amazed, you know, 10 years later when there's this moral failure or this huge fall. And sometimes the character that is produced through suffering and weakness and loss 
is, is not valued. Even in our own culture, we, we, we kind of stay away from that. So that's what was going on there. The questions that I, I'd said, as I've talked through this a couple other times, um, that I want to keep before us is, how can I be captivated by the Jesus of the cross? And we've talked about that. Well, what I mean by the Jesus of the cross, in particular, away from the other versions of Jesus that a city like Tulsa or America could have, other versions of Jesus, another Jesus, that he's, as he talks about in 2 Corinthians, Am I captivated by the Jesus of the cross when I'm obsessed with pride and self-seeking? So even after you're saved, if you'd say, man, sometimes I still struggle with selfishness and pride and this kind of this trajectory of life, I think this is the trajectory I'm on. And now, God, will you just come bless it? That's your role, God. And I'll call on you if things get weak. And so to go, hey, it's not bad to have goals. It's not bad to have things that you're pursuing, but they make lousy idols. They make loathsome gods. And so we've got to be aware of that. So am I captivated by the Jesus of the cross? How can I be if I'm obsessed with pride and self-seeking? And then what implications of that truth have on me loving Christ and making him known to others? If I just check the box and go to church, but Monday through Saturday, I'm not concerned about the, the, my own small group, the, the, the people in my church, the, the, the immediate community that God's placed around me, but then also the lost people around me. If those aren't concerns of mine, it may be, that's a revealer, that I am obsessed with sankey, 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 selfishness. What, what's good for me? What's good for my family? What's best for this? So I'd have you ask those questions for yourself. Um, and then also the motifs here that are not real um, great for you know, building something real quick. Weakness is a source of strength, and we don't usually want that. We don't go pursuing weakness, do we? And then also suffering is the vehicle that God has chosen to display his power and glory. God himself, infinite, immeasurable, indescribable God, lowering himself first and coming in human form and then dying in weakness and suffering and death for people who would not have chosen him. So what a beautiful picture. It's counterculture. It's counterintuitive. So um, as we read this um, from the um, 2 Corinthians here in this, this section, Paul's kind of closing up on some of those things. He's, he's went through those, um, those categories of weakness, and we're going to see his, his final thrust of them as he's trying to plead for these Corinthians, uh, the crowd that has, the, the, that has stayed with him and the ones that have not turned their backs on him. And he's trying to plead for repentance. And then even, the, even some of the super apostles that we've discussed. And then also some of those in the middle of the crowd that were kind of, kind of uh, on the fence. On, is, is Paul true or are these eloquent, powerful super apostles? Are they the ones that we should be listening to? So Paul's really kind of giving this last defense there. Um, uh, here's what we looked at last week, just so you get the context of chapter 12 there. Remember, in, in the first section, 1 through 10, Paul revealed and, uh, and restrains from boasting about those revelations and visions that God had given him. Remember the thorn that was given? He said, 14 years ago, um, that I, I went up to heaven, the third heaven, and God had given me visions and revelations. And, and, and he, he was saying, I, I could throw that on the table and compare that. What do the super apostles have to compare with that? And he said, I, I'm, I'm going to restrain from that. I don't have to do that. I could, but let's talk about my weaknesses because in that, God giving me those revelations of vision, he gave me a thorn in the flesh to keep me low and humble. And he communicated to me, here's how much you're going to suffer for the sake of my name. 
And so he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so we saw Paul's resolve there. For the sake of Christ, I'm content with weaknesses, suffering. Are you content? Man, I'm the first one not to be content when suffering and weakness and things hit. We're taught as Americans, you don't have to be in weakness, just overcome it. What if God's got his thumb on you trying to show you some things about himself and about the cross and about Christ in suffering? We don't sign up for that, do we? So that's last week. And so let's read through um, verses 11 through um, 21. So if you'll turn with me there, this is um, chapter 12, 11 through 21. So Paul, and again, we're, we're joining right in the middle of the sentence. So he comes in, and this language is pretty loud. Uh, this would be very demonstrative. And so as we read here, just know that the tone, think through the tone here. It's so, it's been kind of sarcastic. It's had a lot of irony in it. He's been trying to get them to uh, notice what they're doing. And so he comes in pretty harsh here, but you'll see he makes this turn. He says, I've been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I'm nothing. The signs of the true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children." Almost gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those who I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is, in, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I bear that perhaps when I come to you, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you. And I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, the sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace of your word. We thank you that you did not have to, but you lovingly sent your word. You revealed your word to us. And now through the Spirit, um, he enables us to understand all those who are in Christ and that he opens the eyes of the blind. And so we pray that you would help us for those who are believers in here to grow, to still seek those beautiful gifts of repentance and confession and conviction from the Spirit, to then see true renewal of heart and then to turn and rest in Christ and then to rejoice and worship him more. So we pray that you would allow those things. Spirit, would you give those gifts to us as Paul speaks about this desire, this aim for repentance?
for the Corinthians, oh Lord, don't let us be foolish to think that we've come and sat in a place and that you didn't want to work on our hearts. Let us not be foolish to think that, that we've got it all together and that, that we're so whitewashed and so perfected that we're just going through the motions. We need you now just as much as the first day we were saved. And for those, Father, that are, are, are not even believers, that are, are wondering, asking questions about the faith, God, different things that they've gone through in these last couple of years, uh, would you allow them to see the beautiful gifts of repentance and confession and renewal? Would you allow them to understand the beauty of the gospel? In your name we pray, amen. So um, Paul, going through this, um, I want you to see, first of all, that first major point is just Paul's reminder of his true apostleship. And so remember, um, now I've kind of laid a case out before that there, there may be people in our city uh, or people that visit the city and speak, and that also the, in our world today that call themselves an, an apostle. Now, uh, well, an apostle just is one sent with a message, right? Um, but just so you'll know, those first three, four, five, six hundred years of the early church, there wasn't people after the original disciples. Um, there was a handful of guys. Paul even says himself, one untimely born as, a, as an apostle. He, he realized, I was not one of the original 12, right? And so um, he, he's laying out for him, him for the Corinthian church, his apostleship, which was an issue of not like powerful, I'm your boss authority, but was loving servanthood, just like Christ, our model. And so coming as a servant leader, the, the type of loving servant leader in sacrifice, and he's laying out for them this apostleship. And so after those four or five, 600 years, there was no one who was referring to themselves as an apostle. So just be aware of that. If you, like I said, I've, I've ran into people and they're like, hey, I'm Apostle Sam. And I'm like, I, I sometimes just don't know what to say with that. It kind of takes me off guard. I'm, uh, I want to make up some name quickly for myself. Like I'm Pirate Sankey. So just know that if you ran into people in Tulsa and they're an apostle, just go, okay. And so that may happen. So Paul's going, Here, here's my apostleship to you, which comes with authority for your own good and for the glory of God. And so he says, um, I, I, have I been a fool? If so, you forced me to it. And Paul goes into this defense where, um, in the Greek way of thinking, strength and honor and prestige, those things that we, we looked at about the Corinthian culture that they valued, Paul's saying, um, that was not what I come to you in. I come to you in weakness. And instead of defending me when these super apostles stepped in and they came in their professionalism, they came in their eloquence, they came in their, their uh, supposed spiritual gifts. Remember, that had been a big issue for the Corinthian church. And here I came in weakness and suffering, and no one stepped up to stand for truth. I clarified the true gospel to you. And we, we've covered that several times, as Paul did in the letter, the true gospel. And if, we, if we're a church that understands the true gospel, I would love every single person, seven-year-olds, if someone asked them, what is the gospel? That we'd be able to tell them, it's not that if you love Jesus, your life will be better. It's not just that God loves you, because that, that's just cultural thinking, because that should shock us. He shouldn't love us. Um, it's not just that you know Jesus wants a better life for you. And yes, he can pull you out of drugs and poverty, and he can make your life better. That's not the gospel, though. Those may be ripple effects, but in 80% of the world, that is not the guarantee. That's not the obligation of God in the gospel. So the gospel, just that everyone would understand that, that Christ did. He came as, as, as God's only son, that he, he was in human flesh, 100% man, 100% God at the same time. Huge mystery and that he lowered himself in humility 
in love to die on the cross for us and that he was resurrected three days later and that he ascended to heaven. But then also, don't forget the last part of it, he's coming back again. And so we need to know that gospel message. So when you're sharing with people and a guy's sharing with you about your life and, and about his life and how hard it is, you don't want to make the gospel, hey, well, right now, if you'll just pray to receive Jesus, he'll take away all those problems. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to take away the problems. He said, I did come and, I, and it was sufficient. I took away his sins. If you, you're breaking the law and you're doing drugs or ramming cars into people, you're still going to jail and you can be forgiven. But, but we've got to be clear on the gospel. And Paul said, I presented the gospel so clearly and no one defended me. The super apostles, they're coming with a different gospel, another Jesus, a different spirit, and another gospel. And you've put up with it. And so Paul's saying, why did no one defend me now? I was foolish to, to even bear with that. They had failed to stand up for the truth of the gospel. So not just Paul. Paul's not just making an argument about himself. Paul's point is that he was clearly not inferior to these other apostles, even though uh, they were trying to compare between the two, between their eloquence and professionalism and strength and ease, and yet he come in poor in speech, brokenness, weakness, and afflicted. He says, the signs of these true apostles, they were performed among you um, with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty acts. And so he goes through, didn't, didn't you see God was working through me and my crew when we were there? There were mighty acts. And, and the, the word there, I think, in the Greek is actually talking about, if you go book, back to the book of Acts, the mighty works of God, actually, um, the Greek word, and it goes back into technical. Technically, back to the Septuagint, it was speaking of even those big um, miracles in the Old Testament, in the Septuagint and the New Testament, that word, word mighty acts or mighty works is revealing the God that did all those miraculous huge signs in the Old Testament. So delivering Israel out of Egypt, um, Jonah in the belly of the, the, the whale, um, David and Goliath, um, all the miraculous things that God had done, that, that's the word. And he's kind of bringing that back up to say, we perform those type of things. The most pointed one being your souls. You want a big evidence? Was your soul not saved by Christ? Were you not transformed in the kingdom of light? And so Paul's laying that out there. We, we perform those in front of you, and yet no one stood up for the truth of the gospel, and no one stood up for us in that. And so... Uh, an easy takeaway is, are we a church that understands the true gospel? Or are we people who are um, easily persuaded by things that are not central and, and things that, that, that are maybe just trendy or maybe just popular but have no weightiness? Have, there, there's not a ballast there. And so um, Paul asserts, just like in other places, that as the gospel went forth and bore fruit, they had experienced this, this, this powerful outpouring where God had saved people in their church. And so... Um, um, in, in the book of Acts, he, he, he lays out, uh, he, Paul's mentioning these things, but if you remember in the book of Acts, the way that signs and wonders, if you go through a study of that, and we're in a city that appreciates and really likes those, and some people, you know, we get to Sunday, you show up Sunday morning or Sunday night, if we're not all tingly and just, you know, that, that keyboard's playing and it's building up and everyone kind of, and if we're not tingly and feeling like we're almost about to just levitate, you know, like then God hasn't shown up. And so we're a city where signs and wonders are big. If you look at the book of Acts, when God was doing some of those huge signs and wonders, it was as the gospel went through a new threshold and, and broke through to a new area that had not received the gospel yet. And so the signs and wonders were not just for signs and wonders themselves. The signs and wonders were always, always, always 
to um, signify and point to the message of the gospel. So it was a new threshold who had not heard about this Jesus and his cross and God's forgiveness, and the sign authenticated the message. And Paul's saying, that's exactly what happened with you guys. That's exactly what happened. So if you look through the book of Acts, every time that happens, they go into a new threshold, signs and wonders. And then after the gospel was established for a while, sometimes those signs and wonders kind of died off and the church just became normal and, and it's existing and stuff. And so um, and, and you have to be careful in thinking through as you read the Bible personally, just kind of a side note, there's things that happened in the Bible that were um, descriptive historically and they weren't prescriptive for your own personal life. So you read, you have a quiet time and you read this crazy scenario, like, you know, hey man, Peter gets out of jail. These, he, I mean, there's literally all these guards and, and, and acts and, and he's tied, tied down in this jail and there's these guards sitting on this side of him, this side. There's several guards standing out there and, and angel of the Lord shows up, opens the thing, comes and says, hey, Peter, come on out. And first of all, I'd probably just like, no, sorry. Like, do you see all these guys? Like, uh, they just cut off James's head. And the day before, so like, I don't know that I'm getting up and walking out. And so you read that as your quiet time and he walks out. That doesn't necessarily mean that you can just, you know, like you're, you're, you can, you're invincible that day. That I'm just going to walk across the you know, memorial when traffic's coming. I'm just going to do something foolish. So it's not always prescriptive for your Christian life. Sometimes it's describing what God did in a particular time. So as you're reading through the Bible, be able to have some discernment on what things are prescriptive. This is for all of the church. This applies to all the church. Or this is describing this time that God acted or these three times that God did this thing. And so that just helps us have a biblical uh, perspective and kind of a biblical grid as we're reviewing the Bible and especially life. And so Paul wants them to see that as he's laying out his apostolic um, calling there. The second thing there he goes into is Paul's reminder of his apostolic sacrifice. And look in verses 13 through 18. It says, um, for, for what were you less favored or inferior? He just said, you guys did look at me as inferior to these apostles, even though I wasn't. I, I came with proof of those mighty works, but I never treated you as inferior. And unless you're talking about the fact that I, I didn't take money from you, even though all the other churches, they did support me. So he, he's saying, you know, I never treated you as inferior, although you did treat me as inferior. He, he's kind of juxtaposing those two ideas. Um, Paul was their spiritual father. So he goes into that story, uh, that, that little illustration about, it, it's, it's, it's this idea that parents, um, they're not, um, children are not the ones who support their parents but it's parents who are always sacrificing for their children. So if you look there, um, he, following Jesus' example, Jesus came to serve instead of to be served. We see Christ's sacrificial heart in all ways uh, and in all the things that he did. Um, Paul reminds them that he didn't um, burden them financially when he was with them, for he worked with his own hands and provided them for himself. Even though when he was at other churches, those churches, they provided for him but not you Corinthians. And who is the richest ones? So it would be like us going to this crowd over here at Peoria and 61st, that corner, and saying, hey, we need you to support us. And going a mile over, half a mile over to Southern Hills and going, hey, no, that's all right. We don't need your support. We don't need your financial backing. You see the beauty of the heart of that, of, of the ones who have nothing yet sacrificed? And then ones who have plenty, and like, hey, we're not even asking that of you. And so that's a beautiful picture of that kind of heart of sacrifice. And Paul's saying, that's the kind of heart that I had. I didn't take from you. None of those people that come from me, they, they didn't take from you. 
And Paul says, and, uh, says, here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. Now think through that. I seek not what is yours. I'm not coming for what you may have or, or may be able to benefit me with. I'm coming for your own well-being, your own spiritual health, your own spiritual good. And so you see this, this heart, of the sacrificial heart of Paul. He was their spiritual father. He brought the gospel to them. He was the instrument God used to, to see them um, in, walking through salvation. Um, Paul says um, he, he was concerned about their souls and supporting them, concerned about their spiritual health, not his own security, not his own well-being. Um, so here, here's Paul saying, I've actually been sacrificing my life. And we know that whole history of his catalog and his collection of suffering and weaknesses that he went through, all the horrible things that happened. And what did Paul do? He still ministered to them. He still gave out of nothing, even though he was in weakness and suffering and all sorts of difficulties, the whole list of things he laid out there in several chapters. And he still had this sacrificial heart for them. Um, for their spiritual good, even through all those sufferings. He could have bailed at any time, but he, he lived out a sacrificial heart. Think of what we can learn from this. Think of uh, what's Paul's example. Where did Paul get that ability? So we've talked about this. So remember, salvation and sanctification, right? Salvation, this one-time thing where you're brought in the kingdom. Sanctification is where we're, and the church sometimes is not taught about this, imputed righteousness of Christ imputed holiness of Christ, right? So how did Paul, how was Paul able to go through all those things and not just bail on them? Uh, it wasn't just his own strength. It's not you mustering up your strength going through stuff. The imputed righteousness of Christ in your sanctification, after salvation, your sanctification is you, let's say it's, it's going through a difficult time. You don't have the strength. He didn't want to see how much strength you had, okay? He's not doing, allowing these things to happen to show you off, He's somehow allowing things to happen so you can go in weakness to cry out to him, God, I can't do this. So that's a difficulty. I need your imputed strength and righteousness to be able to stand in this moment. It could be a, a personal attack. could be a, a, an attack on you that is not true, is not found. It happens all the times in, in cities and churches and schools and all kinds of places. And so it's not true, and you've got to be able to stand in that and you go, I'm so frustrated. It could be somebody attacking you. It could be difficult things that happen with your life. Someone doing something to you, and you're angry. And the Bible saying you should forgive. And you have to go, hey, God, I'm confessing to you. So here's, here's what imputed righteousness is. A hundred billion dollars stacked up over there. And you've got, you feel like nothing to give. And you're at McDonald's, and you just need a dollar. But you go, I just can't, I can't do this. And so you don't, you don't use any of the imputed stack of $100 billion that you've got stacked up. You forget that that's on loan to you. Imputed righteousness is, I do not feel like forgiving Andy. Do you know what he did? Andy did this and this and this. And I can't believe, anyone have that happen? You wake up in the morning, you start thinking about that person that's hurt you. The next day, you, you forgave them. You had a good little quiet time, devotional time. Heard a good Shane and Shane song. You cried a little bit in your car. And now it's like, ah, I feel good. And next day, Andy again, he's right there. Pops up in your head. And so imputed righteousness is not you getting better at that. It's you every day, ongoing grace, ongoing grace, 
I need imputed righteousness. I need forgiveness that right now I do not have. Would you allow me to have forgiveness because of what I see you doing at the cross? Let me have love for him, even though I have no love for this scoundrel. You do, Jesus. And it's on loan. It's $100 billion on loan. And the church hasn't done a really good job of unpacking that. Sometimes it's thought, get saved, you know, bow your head, close your eyes, and now sit down, listen, and just be really good people. Be really good people, really moral good lists. And the nicer you dress or the, the tighter and narrower your little boxes are, that's the better Christian you are. That just leads to pride. That's spiritual pride. Who's being celebrated and worshiped in that? We are, instead of Jesus. Like, I'm weak and needy today. It may be your wife, your husband, your children, people around you at your workplace. The imputed righteousness of Christ is what Paul was depending on. So we're not celebrating Paul here. And the message at Sojourn is never, hey, go be like David and you muster that strength up. Or you go be like Paul and and muster that strength up. No, no, no. It's all dependent on Christ. Paul was dependent on Christ. His sacrificial heart came from Christ and Christ alone. And so that's what Paul's bringing out here. Think through the mindset of that permeating a people to where people walk in and no matter what they look like, no matter what they're dressed like, no matter what you find out about them, that you're loving when you don't feel like you can be loving. You're graceful when you don't feel like you can be graceful. That you're sacrificial when you don't feel like that you can be sacrificial. Um, that's what Paul's laying out. That's the type of mindset. He says, um, um, that's the type of sacrificial love I had for you guys. Now, I know, think through in our current day. A lot of times what we've had is, um, sadly, it, it's almost embarrassing for me when people introduce me as, this is Pastor Saint, because people already have their preconceived ideas about pastor. So I hate when we go to like neighborhood cookouts or people have a cookout and we get invited or some guys invite me to something like the guys are all getting to know me and everything and then we're like yeah he's pastor and then like everyone just goes everyone distances and they they kind of break apart and stuff like that and and in that the, the weirdness that, that I feel there is because I know people have had all kinds of weird situations with pastors so they're probably thinking man he's just trying to get rich a lot of pastors in our current time that they, they've seen pastoring as a way to just get rich or to to get fame. So we've had this celebrity culture that's been going on. And many, most times, the character is not developed. So the 32-year-old or 36-year-old blows up the church and injures all the sheep. He's supposed to be the shepherd who loves the sheep, and instead, he's the one hurting the sheep. And and we see it and see it and see it. And, And God's design was not that at all. And so fame, celebrity, riches, all those things play out. And Paul's going, I didn't come for what you could give me. I came just for your souls. I came for your sake. And, and I think of each Christian now, now the body of Christ and all, the, and all being ambassadors for us. What if we permeated that? And that was 90% of a group of people. Doesn't matter what, what your background is. Doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. Doesn't matter what, what you've done. And so what, what usually works out is when you get in a small group and this person says something that, you know, you know they, they open up and read some version of the Bible that, you know, that you don't appreciate or you don't like. And you're like, oh my gosh, no one reads the NIV anymore. Don't you know if they've shown that this thing's ridiculous and horrible? You guys know that even on the, these screens, like when I copy and paste this, I have to, I, I, I knock away at the end. Every time you copy and paste, it says ESV. So I like ESV. I like NASB. I like different ones. There's sometimes I, I, there's several others I like, but I don't want you to become self-righteous and knowing like, hey, Sojourn, we do ESV. John Piper's got a strong stance on why ESV is the only one. So you're in small group and someone 
goes into their paraphrased, you know, like, and you're just like, I don't even know, I don't even know what they're talking about. Like, this doesn't even match up what we're hearing. It's like, and he was walking through the fields, and, and there's butterflies and, and bees, and it was beautiful. And you're like, where is he at? You know, this is not one of the epistles. And so we don't want to be self-righteous. We don't want to get to the point where we're judging people by these lowly things. And so in all of that, we permeate and create a different type ethos. We create a different type environment where we're like, I just want to love them. I care about their well-being. I'm not concerned about that. Now, if they start going, yeah, and I also believe that Jesus isn't the Son of God, that's a different thing, right? And so we want to be a place where, where, where there's this grace. So we want to be solid on the Word. This is hard to do. I don't know why. It's hard to be really, really solid in doctrine, really, really pointed at learning how to make disciples, truly discipling. Not, and this is not discipleship. What you're, it, it's, a, it, it's, it's 1% discipleship. Discipleship is not just you come and sitting. Listen, that, that's info dump. That's you learning some information. In fact, discipleship can be broken down into different ways to where you're life on life with people. And so place that's heralding God's word saying, this is true. We're going to stand on this. Come persecution or whatever. Solid on biblical doctrine, but also learning how to make disciples, learning how to care for one another. Discipleship is just caring for the people around you. Truly caring. And so, and then at the same time, not creating this rigid place where people get hurt over small things that shouldn't even matter to where um, we're this place that's also at the same time solid in biblical truth and doctrines and disciple making, but also a loving, welcoming place. Because I, talking to people, sounds like a lot of us have been hurt. Why do you think the 65% have not come back to the church after COVID? A lot of people, it is jacked up. So you guys, most of y'all know, we've been in, I've been the underneath guy, like the, the two chair or the, the three chair, three times to lead guys who went under church discipline. That's hard to be under that guy. That, that's miserable for years to put up with some of the abuses and some of the manipulations and some of the hard things that you go through. In that, it hurts. Sure. Why would I go, hey, here comes some more people. Yeah, here, let me just open myself. Go ahead and just stab me now at the first so we can just smile and get this over with. That's what, how many of you feel. We've been hurt in the church. The, the church sometimes is the, the, the place that people get so many hurts and things that go on, and it shouldn't be. Can't we be a loving place that, like what he's describing here? I'm there for your good. I'm there for, 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 for the good of your soul because of love, because Christ is changing me. And so Paul's clarifying this sacrificial heart I hope that we can become a people. And I want to say, I, I, again, I did this two or three weeks. I'm not, I'm not the great encourager. I'm kind of more of the confront, like, like, hey, I love you this way. Let's be strong together and all this. So I'm not just the, hey, rubs and rubbing your back. And you're just so beautiful. Thank you. I'm not really good at all those things. So I'm sorry that I'm weak on that and being strong encourager. I hope it's encouraging and loving to really present God's word to you and just be, if you're doing some things that be loving enough to approach you on those matters. But um, in that, I do want to encourage you. When we've had people that come with all kinds of jacked up things, all kinds of sexual immorality, all kinds of jacked up relationship, man, you have opened your homes and loved people well for months and months and over a year of having conversations and having them over and you didn't freak out when they told you their stance or their lifestyle choices and you just, just and you didn't go, hey, right now change your ways or don't ever come back. You said, nope, I'll, I'll still meet with you next week. I'll still meet, still meet with you twice a week. That's, that's beautiful. It takes time. But that becomes the permeation. So that's what Paul's getting across to them. That's the kind of church that we want to become.
Um, so we see that sacrificial heart. In the last part there, Paul's reminder of his apostolic care. He says in verse 19, have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? Well, if you've been reading 2 Corinthians, you know he's went into defense the whole time. He's been defending himself for like seven chapters. So anyone reading this would be, yeah, that's an obvious question. But, but notice there's a flip here. It would seem Paul has been doing nothing but defending himself for quite some time. But Paul's point is that they're not actually defending themselves, but are actually stating truths that should have never even had to be declared. Because of their lack of standing for truth and defending the, the gospel and Paul, He's had to go back through and remind them of these truths. Um, and Paul's going, this is not actually anything about me. This is about you. We've tried to be loving to you. Ha didn't we provide the gospel? Why am I having to defend myself for pro providing the gospel? When these people have called, caused divisions and, and lied and slandered and done all these things, why am I having to defend myself? So it's not about me defending myself to, to raise myself for you to fall back in love with me. It, it's for your good. This is all about you. And so he brings that point out to remind them, no matter what you think of me in the sight of God, I, I'm okay, but all this is for you and your building up. And so he says, this is for your maturing. This is for building you up and you growing. This is for God's glory. It's why we're doing this. So, um, when you think through that, um, it's the parent who only wants their kid to flourish. And so some of you with younger kids, um, you, you're, man, it's tough. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years old, and they're all three or four. It, it, those are tough years. And so we, some of our young parents, I've, I've told, those are tough years. And it's like no one tells you. Everyone's like, oh, yeah. You're like, this is miserable physically. It's just, it's a lot. They're all in the living room, and they're all over the place, and there's spills and messes, and you're, you're, they're constantly dependent. And they kind of get the stage where they can kind of like buckle their seatbelt, and they're doing some of their own things. You're like, this is kind of nice. Buckle up, because it's about God's going, hey, the teen years are coming. And so you think that it's, it's really, really tough. And then all of a sudden, they get to make choices on the moment. So the one thing you want to get across to them is, um, man, everything I'm doing, I'm not wanting to destroy your life. I'm not wanting to hinder you from having fun. Like, here's three greatest things you can enjoy, and I'm just telling you, no, you can't do that. No, no. The most loving thing I could do is, that is a lie. It's lied to millions. You, you even know it's a lie. You know it's a lie, but it's so tempting. But the, the loving thing I want to have conversations with you about is, is for your good. He, he's the greatest thing for you. And so any parent who has had to have those conversations, and you're doing that with your little kids also, that's the parent who only wants good for their child. This is the physician who comes in, and this patient comes in, you know, like I had this thing in my arm, this big bulge in my arm, and like, and he goes, oh, that's, that's clearly some form of cancer. And I just go, oh, no, that's, don't worry about that. But I was worried about my freckles. These freckles, and he's like, no, you've got a big bulging cancer in your arm, and I just like blow him off. No, the physician, was he trying to hinder me from playing tennis, playing golf? No, no, he wasn't trying to hurt me. He's going... That's the most serious thing that we need to deal with here. So a physician who wants ultimate health for you because he cares for you. Uh, this is you in your neighborhood. This is you with your coworkers. This is you in your marriage. This is you in your workplace where, where, where you're being the friend, uh, the, the only one who, who's stepping up to the person going, man, this is going to destroy you if you go that way. This is going to destroy you. And so that's the kind of place that we've got to become. 
to where we're loving enough to step into those awkward spaces. And even when people don't accept it, like these Corinthians had rejected it, Paul has said, this is the third time I'm visiting you. And now he gets to the ending, end of the letter there, and he's saying there, look at those last two verses there. I fear that when I come, um, in verse 21 there, uh, 20, I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish. And you may find me not as you wish. Perhaps there may still be. And these four um, types of sin here, quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, um, all, all four of those are marked in Galatians. Those are clear works of the flesh. The same four he uses in, in Galatians as these works of the flesh. He says, I'm afraid that that's permeating you. And he's going, when I get there, that's probably going to be brought out. And, and I fear that in that last verse, that when I come, my God may humble me before you. And I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they practice. That's a whole wide category of things in his mind. And so he's going, all I wanted you to do was to, to understand the gospel and to, to stand on truth and that, that that would change you. And now it looks like when I come on this third time, it's going to be really bad. There's not been repentance. And so those, those are things that we have looked through um, repeatedly. Remember, when we, we launched Sojourn, the whole idea... Uh, there's lots of different ideas of you know, what do you do to grow a church? What, what, what needs to happen? God was very, very clear. If you don't, if, if there's lost people out there, if there is not conviction of sin, no one's ever getting saved, right? Because it's not get, come to Jesus so your life will be better. That may be a ripple effect. 80% of the world, it may be more persecution. Um, it's, it's clear. There must be conviction of sin. There must be repentance. There must be confession. Those are beautiful gifts that the Holy Spirit blows and gives. Jesus talks about in John 3. Don't know where the wind's coming from. It's going to hit you at different times. Conviction must happen. Repentance, confession. If you respond correctly to that, renewal happens through the Holy Spirit. person gets saved. That's renewal. That's regeneration that we've talked about. That's when a person gets saved, renewal. And now what are we doing? Now do we get our life straight? Now I'm saved and I work really hard? No, no, no. We rest in Christ, in, in the work of Christ, what he accomplished. I'm resting. I'm convicted. I confess and repent that. And then there's renewal. And then I'm, so I'm saved now. And now I'm resting in Christ. And what, what does that bring? More worship to him and not to me. That's lost people. Saved people. What, what, what must be central for a church? There must be for saved people. Still open all the time to conviction to confession, to repentance. And then the Holy Spirit brings growth, renewal, spiritual renewal. And then we're learning to rest in Christ. And a lot of us have come from maybe uh, tight Bible churches or uh, different churches that you grew up in where it was more, no, it's not resting in Christ. It's resting on how good can we do this now? Give me your list. Is there a secret list? Three better ways for a perfect Christian marriage? Um, you know, four, four steps to easy teen years? No, no, there's not. It's depending on Jesus every day. And so in all those things, um, he, he, Paul's going, there's got to be repentance, Corinthian church. What does that hit for 2022 in a small church plant? What does that mean for an area that's a really difficult area? Slow, slow partnerships, not a lot of trust. Well, what does that mean there? It means there's got to be people that are, that are showing humility, 
willing to go through difficulty, suffering, weakness, to show the humility of Christ, to, to show, hey, we're here for love. No matter what you do, slap me on the face again. I, I, I want to be here in love. Slap me on the face again. And I, I know it's different from what you've been through. I know it's a bit different from the place you came from. I know it's different than the church you grew up in, or your dad was a, on staff, or your, your, your family was in the ministry, and you went through all this crap. That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus at all. We have a chance to be a different type of place. Um, there's a, this week, I've been going through some really deep things that God's been doing the last three or four months, and um, there's this... This one devotional on spiritual health, true spiritual health, focused on the gospel. This, this, some of you may have heard of this. This unknown soldier fits in with 2 Corinthians and Paul's message. He said, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to obey. Hey, God, can you give me strength so I can go achieve? There's nothing wrong for praying for strength. I think that's wise. God may go, hey, I got a better one. You want strength right now? Let me put my thumb on you and press you to weakness so you can learn to obey. Anyone ever experienced that? Don't sign on for that one a lot of times. I'll ask for health that I might do great things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might learn to be wise. I asked for power when I was young that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel my need for God. I ask of all things that I might enjoy life. That I was given life eternally that I might enjoy all things. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I'm among all people most richly blessed. So everything that I would want, everything that I wouldn't want, everything that I wouldn't ask for, sometimes God knows that's exactly what you need. The book of 2 Corinthians is exactly a picture of that. This week for in our harbor network, our church planting network, um, I got a letter and it's from Scotty Smith, who's a great theologian, uh, just a loving pastoral friend. And uh, he, he went into this and he actually started a letter. He's been a counselor to many pastors and some well-known famous leaders. That I, would, I could mention their names and you'd know who they were. And he's been kind of one of those solid guys who have walked guys through a lot of stuff. And he said, he starts out this letter like, um, as if he was, it was a counselee that was coming to him. He was like, Scotty, you just don't understand. Life is so horrible. Been in times of weakness and suffering and all these things. So then he goes on and I felt like it was like death was at my door. Things were so horrible. Miserable life. Attacked from all different um, options in life. And then he goes on to say, you may have recognized that. He kind of changed the language and said, my friend... Is actually Paul in the book of 2 Corinthians. And so um, he was saying there that um, we as a people inside the church, we are going to experience suffering, loss, weakness, difficulty. It's been a weighty book to go through. Um, I just texted a guy, our, our executive director of our Harbor Network last night. He was asking, so man, tell me how things are going. I know you've had some things going on. And I said, yeah, I'll probably never read 2 Corinthians again, just jokingly, because a lot, of, a lot of you guys are telling me things that have gone on in your life. And so I want you to know, I, I told you guys back in April of last year, uh, I knew that we were probably going into some spiritual attack, some things that were happening. I knew there's some transitions happening and some different things. And so, and, and just, so look around, look at the beauty of the Lord. I want you to look around and see 
Unity, peace, love. I think three or four church plants had disbanded or blown up. Three or four church splits that had happened and different things. All kinds of things that can happen. And so there, there's all kinds of spiritual warfare. It's not an easy area. Be thankful to the Lord. He mentioned in that letter that, that 10 different people had stepped down. If they had dismissed their, their, their church gathering, it's, COVID's been tough on people. So God is a, a good, gracious God to us in that. God is a good, gracious God that we need to be turning to so that we can persevere through things. You may be going through things personally that you're feeling like, I can't make it through this. Your answer is Christ and his cross. That's the answer. So um, as you're pursuing and per- pursuing life and that life trajectory, just know that God may have a different path, a little obstacle course for you to go through. And he's going to be with you in the middle of it. He won't necessarily remove you from the circumstances. That's what Paul's got us to see in 2 Corinthians. So in closing, um, as we move to the Lord's Supper, um, I want you to think through an application of this. So he's called on them to repent, to think through where are their hearts at with Christ, to think through where's their life with Christ. Um, um, are you a person who's open to the Holy Spirit convicting you? Are there areas or patterns in your life where you've not been um, doing um, obedience at all? You, you stiff arm, you've hardened your heart. We can never be that type of environment if each individual person that makes up the church has hardening going on. And so as we approach the Lord's Supper, I want you to think through those things. As Brad comes up, as we do the Lord's Supper um, here at Sojourn, it's open communion, meaning if you're a person who's a a follower of Christ, who's a believer, who's not in church discipline uh, from some other place, um, that if you're a believer who's been baptized, that you can participate with us. Other churches would say they're closed communion, meaning if you're not on our membership role, that they say that you can't can't participate with them. They're just trying to protect the table for centuries. It was guarding the the table um, of the Lord's Supper, saying we don't want people just coming off the street that we don't even know if they're saved, and they're taking and they're trampling underfoot uh, the, the body and the blood of Christ. And so we practice open communion. I, I understand that stance, but we we want you to know that you're if you're visiting, you can participate with us. Um, we always want to look at the Lord's Supper through those eyes. Of, first of all, we're just in awe of what Christ has done. So He said that as we do this, that we do it in remembrance of Him and what He accomplished, and in that, that we would be amazed and captivated by the grace that he's poured out for us. So it wants it should be this sobering time where we're sobered by it and we're, we're pausing. And we're going to give you a couple of minutes just to just take some time and think through that. And so you're supposed to examine your heart. And if you're a person that says, you know, I, I am a believer and I've really blown it this week and there's some horrible pattern sin, maybe this week you need to not partake and you need to partake of Christ again and not partake of the elements. At the same time, if you've had some, a rough week and some pattern sin, sometimes breaking that bread and taking that blood is, is you're preaching to your own heart. This is the truth. I don't have to live that. I'm not tied to sin anymore. And so we partake of it every week because we want to celebrate that. So there's this sobering aspect where we're looking at in that reality. We don't want to trample it under our feet. But at the same time, sometimes we need that renewal, and we need to do that. Our heart's been hurt. We've been injured. We're walking through afflictions and pain and suffering, maybe that we've chosen. And so we need that ourselves to renew and to renew our mind in that. So maybe that is for you. If you're not a believer, we say, do not partake of this. The Bible warns about even just some sicknesses and some, some things that can happen to your life. Paul said there was people that even died from that. I'm not trying to be threatening, but it's a serious matter. So it's sobering but also it's celebrative. 
We want to proclaim this truth. So it's, it's a proclamation to our own hearts starting there. It's a proclamation to one another inside the church, and it's a proclamation to this community. So as we go out these glass doors and go out these gates, Jesus said, the gates of hell cannot prevail against you, my people. I have all authority in heaven and earth. You don't believe that I can change that guy. You don't believe that I can change that person. We're breaking that. We're drinking that, going, yes, you can. You have authority. We're proclaiming that to ourselves, and we're trusting in the gospel for ourselves and for those that participate and and for those that would be around us. So let me pray over the, the elements. Father, we come to you thanking you for the beauty of these visible things like baptism and the Lord's Supper. We do Proclaim this to our own hearts, God. There are people in here with with hurts, with uh, afflictions, with suffering, with difficulties, uh, displacement, um, hard things, Father. There are people coming in excited, joyful, a different place. God, we're aware of and thankful for the gospel for both of those different types of people. Father, we thank you for the beauty of his body being broken. We thank you for the beauty of his blood being spilt out. Jesus, we praise you for um, you sacrificing yourself. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for the beauty of you applying that to us, opening our eyes to see that we participate through that now. May you be glorified as we do that. In your name we pray.